Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. Here it is, the moment you have all been waiting for. It is the second in our, our Circle of the Calendar series talking about games and matchups that we're going to be salivating over the mere thought of getting a chance to watch with Ryan Little talking about some of his favorites. But more importantly, we finally did it. Like Ahab and Kelly the White Whale, like Mr. Kurt being discovered in the heart of darkness, I have finally got Ryan Little on my show. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Little, a former NFL player, a great collegian, and a guy who cuts through a lot of the, what we used to call in the Army, Bravo Sierra, that sometimes surrounds the way we talk about and evaluate this game. Uh, Ryan, thank you very much. Tell me a little bit about what you've been up to most recently, and then we'll dive into the, the main topics. Um. Well, first of all, let me just say it's great to be here, and uh, I, I'll make it my mission on this show to not disappoint whatever <laughs> anticipation or expectation you had leading up to this. <laughs> hopefully, oh. uh, hopefully it's in within reason. Um, oh, but yeah, so don't I've worry been, about that. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been good, uh, hanging low, staying out of trouble, being a dad. Doing the nine to five thing and uh, yeah. just uh, enjoying football from a fan perspective for uh, <laughs> the last year, which has been fantastic. Aside from my obsessive hobbies as uh, a dat- data fiend and <laughs> scout, so to speak. Right. Well, first of all, um, having joined you, having joined my club, the Father Club. It is one of those things that helps to lend balance to the other parts of your life because, as everyone who's ever been a parent has always said, no matter what else happens, and lots of things will happen in this world, when you get to go home to someone who just don't care about anything else but the fact that their daddy or their mommy has just walked through the door and just takes everything else that was messing with you before that just goes away and you've got this other focus that bypasses and overcomes and surmounts anything else that ever could have happened in your life. Yeah, and it's so true. And I would say that, like football, being a father uh, taps you into that youthful spirit, you know, that thing that (laughs) keeps us all young. And so we're not getting set in our ways and becoming that old crotchety man, get off my lawn. (laughs) It's a vitamin, a a youth vitamin, but at the same time, there's a dichotomy there because the parenting thing and the stress and whatever else that comes with it can be a draining process as well. Sure. Premature aging process, as my gray hairs would indicate. <laughs> well, it's funny, and, and I'll, we'll, 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 we'll depart from this topic in a moment, but I know the man who's currently serving as our president a little bit, and he's a very funny guy. Uh, and when he, people talk to him about, you know, wow, you know, look at the pictures before you get in your office, and he says, well, there's a, 
the thing you're forgetting is that my daughters before I entered office were six and eight or whatever. Now they're 18 or, uh, or nine and I guess nine and how are they? Nine and five, I think. And now they're, you know, 15 and 19 or whatever. So that's, you're forgetting the fact that that is a gray hair and, you know, wearing, wearing, wearing an age factor is that my daughters went from being little girls to being teenagers. Also yeah. in that time that passed between being elected and, I mean, that's a, you know, and I know the girls a little bit. Well, I know the elder of the two girls a little bit because my, Will Burns, if you're out there, Will Burns, uh, former, former staff member for the man who's now our president back when he was just a state senator here in Illinois, uh, used to babysit sometimes back in the day for Malia many, 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 many oh, years wow. ago. But wow. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> It wasn't a big deal in those days. In 1998, 99, nobody would make a big deal about it. But football is almost upon us. Now, people tell me, people who played at a high level, I mean, Mike, you know, I mean, I played, but yuck. I mean, people who played the game and played the game well say that their body still starts to react a certain way as the weather begins to change and things like that. Do you still, does your body still sync up to the rhythm of football, or do you now, are you now truly a civilian? Yeah, I would say, uh, let's say, uh, I'm I'm about seven, six years removed from it, and that's been enough time to uh, be more of the of the civilian time clock. Uh, but you know, I still have, and that that would be more of a a physical reaction. But uh, psychologically, mentally, like I still operate on a football schedule. And I don't know if that'll ever change. I don't know if that'll ever change. And I, I can start smelling the fresh cut grass. I could, uh, I get, you just start getting revved up for it right around this time of year. Yeah. I, I start watching the old Terry Tate office linebacker commercials around this time of the year. Get in, <laughs> get in, get in that mindset. Oh, just kill the show. You make some more. Hi, Gladys. But yes, you've got, the, the season just coming very close upon us. Hall of Fame games coming on the NFL side, preseason kicking off. And then, obviously, we've got teams on the collegiate side, some of them just recently named their starting quarterback. Now, coaches may have had a pretty good idea of who their starting quarterback were, but some of them were, you know, at least being coy about it until this last few days. And I don't know if that's gamesmanship sort of within their own team or if it was really that close that they just recently made a decision. Either way, that's it's a fascinating dichotomy to have, you know, really just a few weeks before pads pop and you keep score to finally have made the starting quarterback. But congratulations to Davis Webb, uh, speaking of. And, of course, I guess that's a, a name now near and dear to your heart as uh, one of the sturdy Golden Bears of Cal. Yeah, yeah, I was, I just saw that the other day, and uh, looking forward to see what he has to offer. He has got some uh, big shoes to fill, right? There's sort of a, <laughs> yeah. a quarterback legacy being formed at this school. Are they uh, quarterback yeah. you now? Barkowski, Campbell. Right. I, mean, I, go, I, I go back a little older than you, but, yeah, Cal's always, though Stanford's kind of, I mean, please don't think it's the wrong way, but people think of, you know, Stanford right before usually, but if you look at the – actual number of NFL starters that both have produced is actually a very close number. It's just that people paid more attention to the Brodies and Elways and Lux than they have to the Barkowskis. And, well, Goff might change that. Um, and uh, Chris um, – oh, shoot. Uh, not Chris Chandler. Chris uh, 
Oh gosh, there's a, no- a number of them. Uh, Rich Campbell, Chris. Oh god. Yeah, I'm trying to think of. Oh, Craig Morton, of course, was the first Cal quarterback. Joe Cap, uh, being probably the first one to play in a Super Bowl uh, game, and then O'Brien. Well, Ken O'Brien went to. Uh, would you count him? He went to. Uh, did he start out at Cal? Because you know he finished at Cal. I mean, at, <laughs> at um. At at um. See, look at you. You're an encyclopedia, man. It's insane. <laughs> He finished his career. He was a D2 guy when he finished up at Cal. Cal um, oh, gosh. Um, what campus is that I'm thinking of? Um, oh, my God. It's killing me. But um, Cal. Hey, if it comes to you later. If it comes to you it later. It will. It will. But let, yeah, me, he finished uh, up let, me actually re- let me actually remark on yeah. uh, the timetable thing with starting quarterbacks and whatnot. And I know you're talking about at the con- collegiate level, and they have spring games to – sort of determine those things, and you would think that uh, the starting position would be fixed at that point. Oh, close to but, it, yeah. Yeah, my, my whole feeling with that is I always feel like I'm less hesitant to feel that urgency to get that starting quarterback out there thinking that, like, our, the entire team is anxious and they don't know who to follow. They need a general Give him the general, <laughs> and once we know who our general is, then we can play this great. game called. <laughs> then we can play this game called football. Actually, I, I think that spring practices, um, even scrimmages and things of that nature, are going to give you windows into who might be your better option. But I like to like get a go, get guys into some real game time situations see what they got because you never know sometimes mm-hmm. guys who might not look that great in practice might not be as accurate as the uh the other guy he's competing sure. with then he suddenly he gets out there and he's one of those one of those types that is like a tim tebow or uh, or even a johnny manzel where the things that you don't realize he had they start to shine He's got that grit. He's got that moxie. He's courageous. He's scrambling. He's guys are bouncing off of him. These are all things you never see in practice. And when <laughs> right. you when you put them in the position, give them the opportunity to show that they have these, let me say, hidden talents, then you might have a better or clearer picture of who will be your best option going forward throughout the season. Like we had uh, Aaron Rodgers and. <laughs> The okay, only way right? we knew, the only way we knew that he was better than Reggie Robertson, uh, the 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 starter going into yeah. his first year at Cal, was they threw him in. They threw him in, and chances when they when they had an opportunity to throw him in, they they switched off here and there. Even though Reggie was the starter, giving Aaron those opportunities to show what he can do is why we we knew that he was a guy to, to sort of go with moving forward in the long term. And, yeah, we'll, we'll transition away from this in a second. It's funny because everyone, you know, people have mind, uh, you know, really to wipe their minds clean because now everyone pretends they always loved Aaron Rodgers. He was a super picked-apart prospect coming out of Cal. I mean, and Overly everything. mechanical. Right, right. And they, they just saw him as a product of a system yes. that 
couldn't translate to the NFL. They never saw the arm strength that eventually developed, right? He's now considered one of, if not the elite arm talent. And that was not anybody's evaluation of this little skinny white guy coming out of a cow (laughs) at the time. People complained about his frame. They complained about he's been too – this is my favorite one, too coached up. What? Right, right. And that like, was just like saying that was just too the way prepared. They held the ball. It was all about oh, the, way right. held the ball. Ball carriage is unnaturally high. He looks stiff. <laughs> oh. And guess what? He tried carrying the ball four inches lower and voila. <laughs> and then put on like sixteen pounds of muscle also. But but basically fixable things. Very fixable things. You know, it's not it's not it wasn't stuff that, even a the the way he was carrying the ball wasn't even an issue that needed to be fixed. It was just him doing what his coach told him to do. Right. That's the way his coach liked it. He felt like you cut like a tenth of a second off the release time by holding the ball up there. So he told Aaron to yep. do it, and he did it. That, how do you say now that he's listening to coaches, he must not be as good, he must not be worthy, or he's not going to be as good as Alex Smith or whoever else, and I'm going to make it a negative in my scouting report. I don't know how you can do that. It drove me insane. Negative. Listen to coach. (laughs) (laughs) Too too receptive to coaching. Too coachable. Really coachable. Gosh, we hate the coachability. So, so coachable. I I remember when I came back from the draft and I talked to Aaron when he was in the media room, and I said to people, he's going to be a superstar. He was pissed off. There's no two ways around it. He was he was hot. He's you know he he had a lot of product in his hair and the product was starting to sort of wear off <laughs> and, and and he was kind of like it wasn't like mean exactly mean mugging quite it wasn't to that level but there was an intensity that like radiated off and he was like you could see he was thinking like oh yeah oh boy oh just wait oh you sobs just you wait but it but it's very very upbeat though like still. There was an upbeat, like he, the smile was in place, and you know it wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't angry to the point where it was like glowering rage. Unlike this is more like Cedric Benson, um, who well he was. He was holding back. <laughs> That's something Aaron is always good at. He, he can put on at least a decent face, and not oh, yeah, just but you could tell he was heated underneath it though. Yeah, you right. could tell, but he definitely minimized his emotions as best as he could. And I would factor in uh, what I know about Aaron, who was actually my college roommate for a year when we were at Cal together. We roomed together. I would say that he, he was also pretty embarrassed having knowing that the entire football nation was watching him sort of sinking down and they kept showing him in close-ups and oh. they, they pretty much changed the way that they were going to broadcast the draft after his experience. Yes, yes. And then the funny thing is when the Brady Quinn thing happens, they send somebody a rescue party to go get him. You know, they go get, oh, we got to go get him. Oh, we <laughs> yeah, can't let this right. happen again. Was, you know, right, oh, exactly. God. And then exactly. Brady Quinn, completely different thing. When I talked to him in the media room, you would have thought like his dog had died, his girlfriend broke up with him. And he just found out that, like, um, his favorite, like, breakfast cereal had asbestos in it. Like, he, it, with him, with him, it was like a defeatedness. It wasn't, 
pissed off. It wasn't, I'll show you SOBs. Ah. It wasn't rage. It was like, oh, man. Oh, they told me I was going to go number one. <laughs> Why did I go number one? Like, it was a, it was a, like a sense of, like he, of loss is what I saw. Not rage. Yeah, you know, not, yeah. That, that, it's interesting, and I'm sure that you've already made that connection that that could be, you know, the difference in their characters between a successful guy and one who didn't become as successful. And also their backgrounds, whereas Aaron was used to this. He was used to being taken for granted and underestimated. And right. that's how his story a goes. One star and, and, or two star at most. Okay. <laughs> but most Brady Quinn, Brady is a Brady one Quinn star recruit. Right. Brady Kennock was the opposite of that spectrum. You know, going right. to Notre Dame, highly touted, big expectations. And, and they just raved about his frame. And they raved about his football IQ. You know, pro style this. And, you know, work with Charlie Weiss. And so much physically mature. And, you know, I mean, certain things. I, mean, I always thought the quarterback position, if you don't delve. People talk that you can't spend too much time scouting character. At quarterback, you can't spend enough time scouting character. That's who a person is is so much more important than, I mean, you have to have some amount of physical ability, but just Garcia, baby, I mean, there's a long list of dudes where if you were to yeah. see them, you know, just in the locker room changing clothes, you'd be like, um, exactly. And by the way, that guy, like he is a good, that guy yeah. is a quarterback. He's the guy, he's one of those guys I would throw in there that you just would never know what he can do. At practice, watching him at practice, watching him try and do seven on seven, you'd never know what he was capable of. And then you put him in a game, and then this little gritty guy comes out, and you never would see it otherwise. Yep. That's why he ended yep. up having to go to Canada first, because nobody in the NFL could see it, because they're looking through too linear of a lens when they're making these evals. Right. Right. And, you know, name to remember – don't be shocked if Rakeem Cato has a similar path, uh, undersized. Mm-hmm. But he, but he just, it's funny because Brandon Bridge and he, rookies same time go up to Canada, and Bridge gets trounced by Rakeem Cato in in the quarterback battle. Like it's not even close. Like like after two practices, like okay, it's Rakeem Cato, you know, <laughs> like uh-huh. it's not even close. But I mean, here's Brandon Bridge, who some people really fell, fell in love with. You know, yeah, he's raw, his mechanics are garbage, but. And then Rakeem Kato's this tiny little dude, you know, 178 pounds, whatever it was he weighted, you know, and, uh, you know, 5'11 and 7'8, like all the things that you people just hate. Oh, God, he's skinny and short. Boo. I, I, just, <laughs> I would not be I – just, I'm just saying, watch out. That's what I'm saying. Like if he gets back down south from, from a, a good Canadian career, which I think he might have, don't be shocked if he ends up having a, you know, not superstardom, but he – I wouldn't be shocked if one of those guys that's sort of a, you know, fringe, solid starter to high-level backup in the NFL if somebody just gives him a chance. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that can happen. And it all depends on a lot of it. It depends on opportunities, opportunities <laughs> that they're given or not given. I mean, think it's about everything. it. We could, have, we could have never seen – think of what how – how the odds were so heavily in the favor of us never knowing who Kurt Warner is. Who would have never known? They said no to him five times. They said he wasn't good enough. 
Somebody and once how, said, oh, well, uh, give me Joe Germain instead of that guy. You know, right. But that happened. That actually happened. And then it took Trent Green busting his knee in a preseason game, I believe it was a preseason game, yes. before he it comes was out. The third preseason game, no less, Brian, right? It's the, one, it's the dress rehearsal. They're getting ready to right. go and have this nice little run. And remember, the greatest show on turf was still going to be the greatest show on turf. March was doing all the same stuff schematically. And Green supposedly was a better fit because he's a bigger, stronger guy who could really drive the ball down the field. Yep, yep. And, and, then, and, and how, many, how many of these Kurt Warners do you think just slipped through the cracks? Oh, I, I could name I, a bunch of guys who I think could be Kurt Warner, but they didn't get the same set of circumstances. You know, it's, right. It's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty darn random thing sometimes. Uh, there is a randomness to it, but I, I don't like that sometimes. word because to me it's people not properly evaluating the guys yes. that they have an opportunity to to turn into assets for their team. They let them go. Mm-hmm. People uh, placing a high uh, high value towards, um, well, we drafted him in the first round and the second round, and we drafted this guy in the seventh round. We we. <laughs> Paid a lot of money for this free agent. We only have so much roster space. The decisions are so often just based off of those surface practicalities, those uh, things that the, those prerequisites that they're coming into that that they're not necessarily based off of. Can what can this guy really do? And it's really hard right. to know that until you get him in the right kinds of situations. And sometimes that will. Uh, Taking like uh, a, a defensive tackle who is a real playmaker, you know, he's got this. He's just got that that it factor. He knows how the nose for the ball, and he can get there. And you turn him into a two gapper, and all of a sudden he's a wash, <laughs> and nobody knows about him. It's right. so many of these type of things that misuse, misevaluation. And so on, underestimating guys based on fitting a certain criteria, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yes. And I see my my uh, friend and co-host, Jimmy Coburn's with me. So both of you guys like to dig deep, dive deep into the data. And Jim is, you know, usually the guy I lean on, but now I have both of you. So now I have not just one crutch, but two crutches. <laughs> I, you know, I, I come from my, my – Growing up, uh, was as a graduate assistant at University of Illinois when Makovic was towards the end of his tenure, and uh, I was on the defensive side with Coach Tepper. But you could learn so much from watching Makovic run practices. And of course, Jeff George was there at the time, uh, Sean Wax, Howard Griffith, uh, Simeon Rice, uh, Kevin Hardy, uh, Derek Brownlow, Henry Jones. I'm leaving some people. Oh, Brad, uh, he was just a sophomore then, but Brad Hopkins, I think, had actually the longest career out of all of them. Or either he or, maybe he or Simeon. Both those guys had long careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad, I think, had something like a 15-year career with the Titans, slash Oilers, slash Titans, because I guess he, he was an Oiler at first. That's how far back. <laughs> I think he might have been on that last team before the move, because then he was drafted in 91? Well, if you're looking for confirmation from me, I'm trusting your word. <laughs> it might have been 92. might have been 92, I think about it. But, yes, um, it was a 
but it was an interesting situation because Makovic was not, you know, he was the sort of anti-Bobby Bobby Bowden, where mm-hmm. in terms of just X's and O's and, you know, and even some, you know, what we would now call analytics were being used. I mean, they made some use of, did a lot of stuff on self-scouting and knowing what our tendencies are and knowing what their tendencies are, and then a fair amount of work, even to a certain amount on sort of physical prototypes for certain positions, sort of in the Parcellian mold. So it's pretty early stuff, but did a certain amount of that. And they wanted to know, you know, hey, if a guy is six feet tall and his three cone is this, what are his, how, how do those guys tend to pan out and things like that? They did a little bit of work on that. It was still mm-hmm. really early because, I mean, like I said, the term analytics wasn't even used yet. I can't remember what they called it even. You know, in <laughs> those days, it was just scouting information, I guess, is what we just called it in those days. <laughs> right. um, I don't think anybody, like I said, nobody used, you know, analytics. That's at least the term wasn't even used. But, Jim, thank you. It's Jim's good to have you back. It's like, it's like having an old, well-worn leather jacket back on in a fall day. Oh, absolutely. I was, uh, uh, yeah, I was just listening to your conversation, so I didn't want to, you know, butt in or anything, you know? Yeah. Well, well, it's okay. We're about to make a bit of a, a change in focus. This is a particularly interesting season. One thing, a lot of times, you know, old crotchety guys like to whine about the good old days, but here's one way in which now is like a thousand times better than the quote-unquote good old days. Good college football games being played early in the season, which was a I don't know, no-no, bet noir, whatever term would have used in the old days. Bear Bryant would, you know, almost forbid, I don't know how this works, but like, he would not touch a halfway decent team. I mean, there was the famous USC game, but for the most part, he would stay the hell away from anybody who was halfway decent non-conference for the most part. And if he did play somebody who was halfway decent non-conference, it would be, you know, week nine or something. But now you see marquee matchups in the first few weeks of the season. That's sort of an un- Thinkable in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s even. It's only really been in the 2000s, particularly the 2010s, that now you see a proliferation of these kickoff classics and, you know, Jerry Jones, Jamborees, or whatever you want to call these things where you have these tremendous matchups. And I would think for both of you guys who like to, you know, watch actual players play, but also like to get an idea of how, production and physical metrics can impact certain things. Do you, I guess this is what I'm asking. I'll ask uh, you, Ryan, and then you, Jim. Do you give any sort of special credence or additional uh, weight to numbers that are accomplished, things that are put, you know, hey, he had two and a half sacks against this team versus, you know, Troy? Or whatever. Does that is that also, or do you just look at the numbers when you're looking at numbers, and then look at tape when you're looking at tape, or do you do you cross the streams to put it in Ghostbusters terms? I actually do. I mean, I think that seems more like a no-brainer to me. The question is, <laughs> how do you do it where you can quantify it uh, consistently and effectively? And at the collegiate mm-hmm. level and strength of competition, that's always been a challenge for many of the. Uh, uh, analysis guys or whatever that that I've talked to and are out there and you look at P, pro football focus they they stray away from doing that simply right. not because they don't believe that it, it matters it's just so hard to incorporate in an effective way where you have and utilizing the amount of man, manpower that you have 
But if you can right. do it and do it right and effectively, it, it definitely is something to consider. I just uh, personally haven't done it. I don't know about Jim. Well, I always think about Dungeons and Dragons, and this is, don't worry, it's going to make sense in a moment, um, where you had to roll a higher number to hit, you know, this half-elf, half-halfling um, uh, thief who had this, <laughs> you know, agility rating of 98. Then if you hit this orc with a 47, you had to roll, you know, a higher number. You had to roll a 21. Right, exactly. You would think, okay. Right, right. right. So if there were a I'm gonna take your dungeons. I'm going to take your Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> analogy, and I'm just going to apply it to my favorite game, Civilization. And I know exactly oh, what you're talking about. Oh, Okay. Yeah, yeah. I bet a little Civ back in the day, too. I'm familiar with. But I'm Excellent. with you. And it's a good analogy. So continue. Sorry. Now, the thing that... I mean, like I said, if I were trying to figure this out, I would probably do something like that. I would, I would have some sort of adjustment where it's like, oh, okay, you had to to do to get that sack against that guy, you had to roll a 21, right? Uh, while that sack you got against, you know, um, Southern Utah, you only had to roll a 14. So, Jim, same question. Um, is that something that plays into your evaluation? And if so, how do you incorporate, you know, level of competition, how good the other guy is, however you want to put it? Well, in terms of, like, level of competition, um, it is something that you definitely should be aware of when it comes to data. Because, again, as as everything else, as I tell most people, you're never going to have a magic number uh, that's going to be like, this guy is going to be a Hall of Famer because of this number. That's just not going to happen. Um, or, or at the very least, there's so much data collection you have to do that you have to do that. Uh and the other sort of thing is I think a lot of times when people talk about level of competition and stuff like that and they go, well, I don't want to do that because of blah, 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 they just don't want to do the work um, <laughs> because I, I'm just being honest because you have to go, you have to define, you know, what your parameters are, like what's a yep. weak team, what's a, what's a good team, what's a good defense versus what's a bad defense. And then mm-hmm. you have to, collect all that data for one year and then you have to collect it for the year before that, the year after that. And, you know, so you get about 10 years, 15 years worth of data to see if it even matters, you know, because a lot of stuff that I do, like when I did different sort of variables and stuff like that, you know, you're testing these variables. And sometimes you do three months worth of work and then you find out, Oh, this variable really doesn't matter. You know, it's just, it's not that big of a deal um, in the long term. Um, so it is something that, uh, I mean, level of competition is something that's important. It's, it's something that you definitely should look at. But at the same time, I think even with that level of competition issue that hurts your ability to filter down your data, the data still shows that production is important at running back, wide receiver, tight end. I mean, whatever you're talking about, linebacker, uh, when it comes to quality outcomes. Um, because there's, there's been, as I tell most people, which is the basic thing, is there hasn't been very many people who had eh, college careers and then became Hall of Fame players. Most of the time, the really great players, and this is just based on statistical analysis, had really great college careers, statistically yep. speaking, and then they went on to the NFL and had really good NFL careers. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody who has a great college career is going to have a really good NFL career, 
Because whenever but, you say that, people bring up Timmy Chang, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Tim Tebow or whatever. Or, yeah, yeah. But, but it is something to pay attention to where if you say, okay, so-and-so is going to be a Hall of Famer or so-and-so is going to be the next great linebacker or, what, you know, the next Derek Brooks, the next, you know, whatever, it is something to go, okay, he, he, you say that, but Derek Brooks did this in college. You know, this, this guy did this in college. He didn't do that in college. You know, he did, like, 50 percentile in, in this particular production metric. So it just is something to look at in terms of range of possibilities and that sort of stuff. So it kind of works both ways, you know, where if you're trying to figure out, okay, I've seen the tape, he's awesome. I've seen the production data, he's awesome. I've seen everything else, he's awesome. I've interviewed him. He doesn't seem like a bad guy, you know, and all that other sort of stuff, or he fits the personality test or whatever you're doing. And then that just gives you more credence to go, I think this guy's going to be good, you know. But, uh, again, I, I do think that competition data is something that is – what I'm basically saying is it is something that – it's the next step I've been trying to get into. But you have to understand a lot of my models go back 10, yep. 15, this 20 years. very hard. So that's a lot of work to do on the side. Like I don't have like five or six minions working under me, you know, just a regular guy. Yes. So, and we need to fix that. Yeah. We need to put out, cast the bread out on the waters. Look, if you're a 15, 16-year-old and you love analytics and you love football, it's time that you applied for the James R. Coburn Scholarship. James Coburn Foundation, <laughs> you know, something like that. But, you know, I think I you want to be right. I think you call them interns. It looks better on their resume. Yeah, interns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's much better. Work I would say that uh, – Pro Football Focus, once they got into college football uh, analysis and data, that they have collected enough to where they really were in a position to do that kind of analysis more than anyone that I know of, really. And even then, they still avoid it because it's still, like, all the, for all the reasons you mentioned, it's very difficult. Yeah. Yes. They they did me word when given the opportunity to do so. That is that is a good way to put it. So and he, actually, yeah. I, and I was curious. Like you mentioned that um, there are certain variables that you realize don't play as big of a role as you might have thought. May have thought. Is there anything that comes to mind for you where you have de-emphasized that variable over time? Uh, I mean, for example, uh, arm length at offensive linemen um, and defensive linemen. Um, nah. I've, I, I do think arm length is an important – I mean, it is important. You have to have a certain amount of arm length in terms of quality outcomes and that sort of thing. But I just think there's too much emphasis on people that have average arm length or guys that get knocked or dinged for having – like people saying, oh, he doesn't have 36-inch arms, so he's going to not be very good when the data shows that you just kind of hit that certain threshold and then it's all good. Mm-hmm. And even at pass rusher, you know, especially people emphasize longer arms, which is important. I mean, it is important to have – it's another tool in the toolbox, but there's oftentimes people go, oh, he only had 32-inch arms, so he's going to be a bust, and yet there's tons of these really special players that had 32-inch arms, and right. there isn't really any 
quality or quantity correlation when it comes to, you know, when, when I mean quality, I mean guys that, you know, get all for recognition or guys that hit 100 sacks or, you know, those sort of thresholds. There's no real strong correlation. I mean, there's a slight correlation, but it's not this sort of when scouts go, oh, my gosh, he's going to suck because of his arm leaks. You know, it's – Well, it's, people always bring up Robert Gallery, which I, I know may be a somewhat painful memory for you, uh, Jim. But it, it, as if there was nothing else going on with Robert Gallery, as if that was the only thing holding him back. As If his arms were just an inch and a half longer, he'd be – you know, polishing off well, a Hall of Fame career. I would say, by the way, as being a former teammate of Robert Gallery, go. having a chance to watch, watch him play on a daily basis, arms, arm length was not his downfall. It was uh, he didn't have uh, he didn't he didn't leverage his weight well, and he didn't have very powerful lower a lower body. There's and, thank you. That's what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> it affected his balance. Balance and lower body strength seem to hurt him much more than any kind of arm length issue. I wish people would talk more about that. I think well, I always wished. I mean, I'm glad we have some kind of strength measurement at the combine, but I mean, we all played football at least a little bit. I was a pretty good bench presser. It was cool and everything, but that meant nothing. I mean, not nothing, but damn close to nothing when I was playing. I, I, the more I played, the more I realized I needed to work on my lower body. I mean, all the, all the old things about arms for show, but legs for go became more and more apparent the more I played. I, I don't know why. I mean, we do have, I guess, the, the vertical and the, um, the broad, and I guess they're helpful. But well, they you, really do explosiveness, though. I mean, that's the other sort of thing is that the vertical and the broad jump are, is judging your get off, your explosiveness. That's right. Right. the thing. That's not necessarily strength. Yes, that correct. That makes sense in terms of you know brute strength. So, right. I mean, we do have certain things that can measure okay how fast you can get off the ball, and you know certain things like short shell three cone can judge a little bit of your flexibility in terms of like leverage and those sorts of things. But it's not really the best in terms of brute strength. And I know there's all these offensive line guys. And I've talked with these guys and I've been in arguments with these guys uh, who, you know, say we should do this type of workout or this type of workout. But I just think the agents would lose their minds <laughs> to do these sorts of things because, you know, you're you're basically doing things where you're, like, lifting a ton of weight uh, and there's risk of injury and there's all these sorts of things, things that agents don't like, you know. They don't <laughs> want to risk injury. And there's lots of stuff that, you know, a lot of these offensive linemen guys and these other sort of guys are like, hey, but we here's, do here's, this. Here's, here's what I will say. If we were to shelve the bench, which I understand would upset people because we've had it for a million years, and replaced it with, hey, a nice little incline, sort of hip sled kind of thing on a machine, which I guarantee you is way safer than what they're doing right now with the bench. I mean, I know it would disturb the, you know, functioning of the universe and, the, you know, the... <laughs> You know how many angels could dance on the head of a pin? All of them would be, I mean, everything would be thrown out of kilter. But I'm convinced it would not only be safer, but you'd have more usable data for what makes football players football players. Because as people yeah. brought up by a million times, hey, the guys who've been the record setters or close to record setters in the bench, very few of those guys have panned out. 
And I would just rather and I, and I'm sure that they would want to keep the bench because of the years that they've have right, all the data. collected right, on it. Right, right. But I'm okay with just incorporating one more element on top of that, like maybe another day. And if it's to like, have a machine that can just measure the torque that a guy yeah. can put into that with, his, with his upper body. And you can get right. like a, a torque measurement of upper body power. But that's that, that, that to me is more important than how many consecutive reps can he get before he, he tires. You're just really well, measuring. Okay. What you're really end up measuring and what you'd have to weed out that you really can is you're measuring how much focus did a guy spend on benching during benching. The, yeah. yeah during his draft yeah. training. I mean, the, the top guys and long are the arm, long arms hurt that. Hurts you, yeah. So the top guys are the Mike Roos of the world. And I loved Mike Roos when he was at, at, at Boston College. But sure, he was a but, super but short thing, arm. Guys, this is the other thing, guys, is, is the arm length, just like I mentioned, bench press is even funnier in terms of just you – in terms of quality, in terms of quantity. Yes, there is a threshold. Yes, there is a point where you see right. guys who hit this 20 number and then they, there's like a three guys below that. But if all you do is hit 20 reps and you have all these Hall of Famers that did 21, 22, 23, et cetera, or those, those sort of things, does it really matter? Should we really lose our minds when a guy does 22 or 24 reps on the bench? Because that always happens every season is you have one guy who gets 24 reps on the bench and we're just like, oh, I thought he was strong. I thought he was this. He only had 24 reps. You know, it's it's just and and yet the data clearly shows that it's not as important as we make it out to be. It's it's got to be one of the least important. I mean, you guys would know better than I would, but I'm willing to bet it's one of the least indic- indicative of future success of all of the pieces of data you can collect from the combine. I'm willing to bet bench presses, if not the least important, I bet it's close to the least. Absolutely. Warren's that Warren's that I don't even know if he can bench oh, 300 pounds. I don't. I, he used to say that he never lifted weights. He wasn't interested in lifting weights. And football is a completely – playing the game of football is a completely different experience of what your body needs to versus getting in there and having some bar that you have to lift up that doesn't move back. It doesn't have adjustable weight, you know, and – Everything you do in your in football is incorporating pretty much something from a muscle from head to toe. You know, it's a, a yep. full body thing. And yeah. especially playing. I mean, he was a three technique. His whole thing was about you know great hips. You know, he had these swivel hips. He was, despite his body not being classically molded, he was amazingly quick and flexible and nimble. And his ability to make himself and functionally small. strong, yes, but the ability to make himself small at times or big when he needed to be was tremendous. He could slip through a crack that you think a hundred and ninety pound dude would have trouble getting through, but he was managed to get through it. And then when he did have to bow up, as they say, when he did have to overpower dudes, as you just pointed out, I saw him do it. I saw him take a center and a guard and basically, you know, like comically, like, you know, like uh, something from the Three Stooges, clash them into each other and throw them back. Saw him do it. But, yeah, so I would say it matters. 
but I think the point that we're all trying to make here is it all these things have to be put in proper perspective, weighted properly, given their proper due, and understand that in some cases it's a case-by-case situation whether or not that matters and to what degree. Yes, well put. So spinning forward into 2016-17, there are going to be some matchups, both in terms of individual matchups in, you know, guys who are going to see each other during the season, and then some team matchups that have you excited. Well, I'm assuming. Someone there someone have, have me excited, and I'll start with Brian, our guest. Uh, what what dates you have circled on your calendar in terms of Victor games or Victor players that you're going to focus? You're going to give all of your attention to, and and this particular game will give you a chance to really sort of crack open your thoughts on them and and perhaps even change your feelings about them. Right. Yeah. Um, you know. I grew up a 49ers fan, but this year I got to say there's not going to be any real exciting matchups with the 49ers that I I could point to. But yeah, I, I think about week one and I'm really excited to watch the Pats go into Arizona. I see that as something that could be a, a Super Bowl preview right away as like Kickstarter. We're going to get a really good feel on – where we want to establish these two teams in the power rankings. And <laughs> it's a really good first test. Then I go to week two, and the Jets traveling to Buffalo, and Rex getting to have some revenge on his old, old team. And I still can feel the Rex-Ryan footprint on both of these teams. And they, they have a similar grit to them that I would love to watch that matchup. I could watch that kind of a matchup. All all season long, it's just defense, heavy blitzing, and it's going to be a good one. A lot of aggressive play, and I would uh, a week four matchup where RG three and the Browns. If RG three is the starter going into Washington, where he gets to play his former team who did him so dirty, I mean, <laughs> hey. That's going to be a matchup. Kurt Cousins versus Robert Griffin and Robert Griffin versus the Redskins. And is he going to be able to show them up and show them that they shouldn't, they shouldn't let him go? I'm curious to see that going to week six and Andrew Luck's going to have to go up against JJ Watt. Hopefully Andrew Luck's healthy still by then. And, is back to the form that we've come to know and not the 2015 version of whatever that was, then everyone's going to give a bunch of reasons. Oh, you know, his offensive line was terrible and and his offensive coordinator was terrible. Okay, well, well then why didn't Matt Hasselbeck consistently outplay him? They had the same offensive line. And so I don't know. I still got questions on how great – or even good is Andrew Luck going to be? And watching him go up, go up against J.J. Watt is going to be fun to watch. I go to week seven, and I really love these two young teams. The Raiders going into Jacksonville. These two teams have tons of young talent, up and coming. And 
I feel like I've scouted every single one of the guys on their roster and a lot of guys that I like. And I want to see David Carr versus uh, Bortles. I want to see Khalil Mack going up and trying to do damage. Receivers galore in this game. Lots of beautiful catches, nice runs after the catches. Uh, Maybe which team is going to have the more dominant run game is going to be the key factor in that. I don't know. Um, then, uh, going to week 10, the LA Rams taking on the Jets, another Jets game I'm looking forward to see. And that to me is the pinnacle of defensive lines in terms of matchups. I, to see which one, I can just be, I'll, I'll be drooling that entire game, watching great defensive line play on both sides of the ball and, and different and in different ways. So the Jets are the more powerful, strong, physical defensive line with Sheldon Richardson and Muhammad and Leonard Williams is going to be a beast this year. He was so young, so raw, out of shape relative to what you need to be in the NFL. And he admitted this, right? Yep. And he's going to be, he's going to be ready. He's going to be ready. And he is a cognitive player who has instincts, that are uncanny, and put him on a team that's already loaded. And then you got on the other side, Aaron, Aaron Donald, and the past book, fast rushing bookends of Quinn on the other end. And yeah, it's just that to me. I I can watch that and just uh, be in heaven. Uh, then I'll go to I'll I'll go lastly finish it up with week fourteen with the. Uh, Seahawks going into Green Bay. It's going to be a big test for both of those teams. Aaron Rodgers is a, Aaron Rodgers is tough to beat, and, and at home, and that defense, and there's going to be playoff implications. So I'm excited. There's just, there's a lot of good things to look forward to. There's a lot of things I can point to. I mean, and, and as we all know, this this season still is going to develop. And more exciting things are gonna sort of come into our our radar as to what to watch out for as the story unfolds, I should say. Sure. And collegiately speaking, I'm assuming there's at least a couple of Cal games that you circled the calendar for, but I'm going to guess. Oh, I definitely want to see them with the kickoff game because uh, I remember kicking off the college season my first year at Cal and what that felt like knowing that the entire nation is watching us play and it's the first sampling of college football and so Cal and Hawaii I think that's going to be a good matchup right I don't I don't uh I don't even know who's going to win honestly I have no idea which and team I, I has guess the Hawaii's most. considered the home team because they're closer to Australia yeah Sydney right 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 that's <laughs> That makes sense. That's that's good logic. <laughs> that's got to be crazy travel. I mean, I'm just thinking about because there's no. I'm sure there's no direct. I mean, you've got to take. I can't imagine how they do this. I guess they go to Hawaii first. I'm assuming, and then, whew, what Midway Island? I'm trying to think of what you would go to from there. You know, somewhere in the. Loganville chain or something. I mean, that's a tough flight. That's a yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess a, they must a couple of days. I'm hoping before the game they, they start that travel. 
uh, I'm assuming that at least a few days before, and then they give them at least a day, I would hope, to acclimate and, you know, maybe see a few fights as well before they actually have to go play. And I had to give you NFL because in my house, I have, I'm surrounded by women who don't love an entire weekend full of football. So I have to, I do my, I watch, no, this is not, don't laugh because this is sad. But no, I actually have to watch my college football via scouting. And then I do my NFL football live as a fan. I guess. So that's how I, I do yeah. Right. So you're going to probably, you know, jump on your, your tube of you or, or something right. and, uh, and catch up that way. And but I get a few catch- games. I get a few games, but I have to be very picky. I like to at least go to a couple of games a year, college games. Uh, so tell me, tell then- me, when you have to be picky, that's perfect because we're talking about circling the calendar. So since you have to be so picky, which are the ones – since you only get a handful, what which ones are the ones you're going to put in that hand? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I've, I, I'm trying to get up to Memorial Stadium for a cow game, a home cow game this year. Um, which ones? Oh, man. I'll probably end up at the Coliseum to watch them play USC. I, I, want, to see, uh, I want to see Rosin play for UCLA, so I'll probably go to oh, the UCLA chosen? game again. Oh, I have a feeling, and here's my thing. I, I know golf. Goff's a good quarterback. I know he's going to have his successes in the NFL. I don't know to what degree, but I've watched most most of his games in college football. And I'm just going to finish with saying that I've never been wowed by Goff as I have yes. been by Rosin. And yes. I believe that he's going to be the better quarterback. He's the, cho- he's the chosen Rosen for a reason, yes. He's, his maturity is preternatural. And I saw Goff as a freshman, and he was impressive just in that he kept getting up. It was maybe the most impressive thing because he <laughs> took a, oh, I mean, like a almost David Carr-like pounding that, that first year. I mean, there were times when it would be like these quick little screens and he would still be getting crushed. It's like, good God, man, is, can't you at least, you know, fall down a little? You know, I mean, it was amazing <laughs> how quick he had to get the ball out. So you guys had no deep passing attack that first year. Or couldn't, you couldn't, you know, because you could oh, my God, he took a – that was my main thing I was walking away. I was like, this guy is tough. This kid yeah. is tough. And he's going to have to be. He's going to have to be because <laughs> – and I know we talked about this already earlier, but that yeah. frame, <laughs> that frame. <laughs> so let's hope. Well, to his credit, to his credit, he's not been accident prone, at least thus far. I mean, right. he hasn't been Sam Bradford-esque. I mean, right, I hate right. to be right about certain things, but I told people I think Sam Bradford's going to be injured much of his career. And, you know, all my OU faithful friends were like, yeah, fluke, blah, 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 you know, guy landed on in the wrong way. It's like, yeah. And, you know how often guys land on you in football? I mean, that's problematic. <laughs> right. Uh, young quarterbacks get landed on. That's how they know they're young quarterbacks. No kidding. And soon, don't worry, in five years, there'll be a rule, 15-yard penalty, <laughs> landing on the quarterback. Landing on the quarterback. <laughs> you know, it's, we, we half laugh at this, but the the way that things have moved, I mean, it's funny. 
I, I, I still see the game through different eyes. Burt Jones must be sitting somewhere watching football thinking, thinking man, if I could have played now. All these guys, Dan Pastorini, who were good quarterbacks, but they played in what I call the dead ball era. You know, if you go back and look, and you guys are, are, are numbers guys, look at the kinds of offensive numbers that were put up in the, the mid-70s, 74, 75, 76, 77, what I call the dead ball era. Um, mm-hmm. it's, like, it's like the 40s. If you look at the numbers, defenses were so dominant. And there were so many great defenses. But then they fixed that. They made a bunch of rule changes. And then, you know, and then they yeah. made some more. And then they made some more. Uh, so they, you know, the, the Mel Blunt rule, as they used to call it, with, you know, the restricting contact within the five yards. And then they liberalized the pass blocking rules. And then they liberalized them some more. And, you know, now, you know, it's it's yeah, playing defense, playing safety now is damn near impossible. I don't know how they, what they want safeties to do. That's why I'm glad at least they the only rule that they like, that I can think of in the last decade that actually helped defense was the rule where now when you catch a ball and you jump up and you catch it, the defensive guy can push you out of bounds before you yes, get two the feet force in. out. Yeah, they got rid of right. the force out, yes. All right. <laughs> You're right. Other than that, it's been pretty heavily weighed on the other side. Uh, Isaiah, always glad to have you with us as well. Uh, what games have you circled on the calendar? What games do you have circled, Isaiah? What games do you think will help you determine how you're scouting and ranking players and or particular teams that are of interest to you? Um, to be honest, I really haven't followed up on any of that. Okay, so you haven't looked at any of their teams and figured out sort of matchups that you want to, like I said, circle the calendar. Hey, this game will help me to, you know, USC, Alabama, no, things really. like that. None of those. Okay. Well, then, Jim, it comes to you, Sir James of Coburn. Uh, give me some of the games you have circled on your calendar and tell me why. Uh, sure. Um, I think in terms of just NFL, and then I'll move to college, uh, the big ones, I really want to see Giants versus Cowboys week one. Why? I'm just a sucker for that game. I just really like Eli Manning versus Tony Romo. I really want to see what Odo Beckham Jr. and certainly Shepard is like for the first oh. time. Hopefully, hopefully oh, he's healthy. Oh, oh, you were talking about NFL. Like, we're, we're talking NFL. mostly college, we're, but if you, had some, if you had some NFL ones, I'd take them. But, yes, uh, but right now, Jim, finish up, please. Sure, sure. Uh, so, I mean, I just – and plus the Cowboys' defense is a little bit in a flux, as it always is. So, I mean – and let's be honest, the Giants also are kind of eh. – it's just a thing. But I, I just uh, – I'm a sucker for that game. I just – I really like whenever that game is on, um, I just I just enjoy watching those teams play because uh, I do legitimately feel like they don't like each other. But it's not to the – Steelers Ravens level of like people breaking kneecaps and stuff, but no, you know it's, it's not that. It's not but that. but it's it's a Disney version of that, I guess. Yeah. You know. Yeah, they don't have they don't have like Vontez Perfect or James Harrison or guys oh, like that no, who might wave no, you in, no, might wave no. you in the parking lot. No, 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 not, you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Bucks versus Falcons, week one. Um, I'm a really big fan of what the Buccaneers are doing in terms of their, their defensive. Uh, moves that they made. Um, I, I, 
I'm a really big fan of Jameis Winston. Um, the Falcons are a team that every single year we talk about whether they're going to become great again. Yes, sort of thing. <laughs> Make the Falcons every, great again, Jim. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and every year they 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 go four and twelve or eight and eight or whatever. <laughs> so. I, I just I, I'm a big I just really want to see uh, in terms of the statement game if the Bucks can finally make that statement of you know hey we're we're in the NFC South we're a lot better our defense is a lot better our offense is going to work a lot better under Winston in year two um, and I, I just really want to see what happens in that game uh, Packers versus Jaguars is also another game I'm interested in just because the Jaguars have done so much. They've had so many high draft picks over the years. Yes, they've had all the draft picks. (laughs) You get this sense of, like, this is their year. You know, like, this is the year the Jaguars are going to strike back. They're going to make their name for themselves. They're not going to pick in the top five of the draft anymore. You know, we have our defense. We have this. We have our quarterback. We have Allen Robinson. We have all these pieces. And and who better to have a game than the Packers, you know, Um, a team that is, has Aaron Rodgers obviously, and is is a team that easily is a Super Bowl considered this year, as they are in most years. When you have Aaron Rodgers as quarterback, so I just think that that's a really good test case game for what they're going to do. Uh, Bears versus Texans is another sort of game I'm interested in because I'm really interested in what the Bears are doing. You know, if Montel was on the on the show right now, he'd be able to you know talk a lot about that, obviously, but. You know, there's a lot of that, too, with both of these franchises. You know, the Bears are, are trying to reestablish themselves. The Texans are another team that's trying to figure out what they're going to do, you know, in terms of quarterback and everything else. So I, I just think – Remember when it wasn't game. that long ago that the Texans were like a sexy, dark horse Super Bowl pick? It wasn't that long ago. Oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Years ago. Yeah, yeah, but, you know – I mean, but they were a contender, like, on the teams that, you know, I, the, it, it always comes down to quarterbacks to a certain extent, but, you know, uh, we'll see. I mean, again, they had Aaron Foster and they had J.D. Watt for a moment, and they just didn't take advantage of that. So you wonder if they can, you know, put the pieces back together and, you know, actually do something good. And they still have those pieces on defense. Um, I really like the Texans' defense. The Bears' defense is definitely a question mark, but I do think that they might have made some pieces in here and there that I just kind of want to see what happens in terms of if the linebackers work out and if the sort of diaspora of the Broncos actually helps the Bears to a certain extent. Uh, Rams versus 49ers is also a big game, obviously, week one, because I mean, it's Rams versus 49ers. Jared Goff is there. Todd Gurley is there. He's a very well, good well, running back. Uh, what? It could be Case Keenum. Case Keenum? He's pointing out they have not named a day one starter, I think is what Isaiah is oh. trying to point out. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That'd be interesting if that happens. Uh, if that does happen, then you can uh, notify me. But I'm pretty sure it's going to be golf versus 49ers um, in a big game to introduce himself. Uh, and the 49ers are not the same 49ers team. You know, this is this is a totally different team that's trying to get its footing back, and uh, I think that's going to be interesting what happens there. Steelers versus Redskins um, is a game I know you, you're going to watch, Bill, uh, because – 
quite frankly, <laughs> teams we're going to figure the, the out teams a lot of my stuff. Use. Yes, teams of my youth. Exactly. Um, so, yes, the, the redacteds will be facing uh, a Steelers team that has frankly gone from one of the great drafting franchises in the history of the league to a team that is spotty to be kind in the draft of late. Uh, I don't know what the heck's going on. But what team? I'm sorry. Uh, well, too many cooks in the kitchen, as I like to say. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think that well I think that's really the issue with the Steelers. Too many voices, too many decisions. You know, it's it's too much of a committee. You know, because the committee is fine, but when you have 100 people on the committee, <laughs> stuff can go wrong uh, yeah, somewhat. Well. I always think about the, the, the famous Mark Twain quote. Uh, you may have run across it where a camel is a horse designed by a committee. Yeah, but that's pretty much the Steelers' defense. So, uh, yeah, but but there but there is some hope. I mean, kind of. But there there is you you've done some things that are interesting. Um, it's just a matter of it all works together. So I mean that's that's there. And then Panthers versus Broncos. Um, I'm really interested to see the rematch. Uh, I, I want to see if the Broncos can live without Peyton Manning, which it, it's something they have to do now. So I think they will. But uh, yeah, I, I and the Panthers too. I mean, they're not. It doesn't happen all the time, but usually when teams lose in the Super Bowl, they have a down year, you know, because it's kind of depressing and stuff like that. So I, I hopefully that doesn't happen, but it, it is something that you're always kind of interested in seeing what happens in week one. Um, but at least those are at least my week one NFL sort of games that I'm really interested in watching and stuff like that. Okay. And for scouting purposes, uh, tell me about some of the the games you have circled for some of the NCAA matchups that you're going to try to help, help you to figure out what you think of some players. Oh, sure. Uh, in terms of the NCAA – I mean, to start out with, I'll, I'll start with a little game that nobody's going to watch, which is South Carolina versus Vanderbilt. Um, South Carolina is a very bad team, but and Vanderbilt has also had its struggles, but I like a lot of players at Vanderbilt. I think Ralph Webb at running back is really underrated. I think Trent Sherfield at wide receiver is another guy uh, that's interesting. Zach Cunningham at linebacker. Uh, is good and McGaster from uh, Vanderbilt too at cornerback. They're, I mean, they're all, you know, really underrated uh, defensive and offensive players. Um, South Carolina, I just there's not a lot to be excited about with them. But uh, <laughs> Darius Darius English uh, at edge is someone that I'm wondering what steps he might make this year um, as a pass rusher. Um, he showed a few flashes last year. I just want to see if he could be good, which is something that doesn't always happen, but it's another year, so you never know. Uh, but, yeah, I I just really like Vanderbilt versus that. Uh, Oregon State versus Minnesota, um, more so because of Oregon State. I mean, Jordan Villeman, that wide receiver, is a Devin Funches-esque wide receiver but can actually run pretty decent routes, has better hips, uh, is really big, and was really good other than the fact that his quarterback is not the most accurate. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, that's 
one of the guys I kind of want to see go up against. And, and I'm assuming the Mitch Leidnerites will be, you know, circling because there are some people talking about, oh, you know, Mitch Leidner well, is a possible first rounder for whatever reason. Yeah, uh, I mean, he is a he is a big tall white guy, as you know, Bill. I mean, I <laughs> big tall white guy typically something that everybody likes, and if they're halfway good, they end up going in the first round. So, I mean, that's just something you got to deal with. But I'm not the biggest Mitch Leitner fan. But <laughs> it will be interesting to see with all this hype going into the season how he performs, obviously. Um, uh, Tristan Deku, a cornerback, is also another guy from Oregon State that I kind of want to see what happens. Kansas State versus Stanford is a big game. And that's Christian McCaffrey show. I'm a really big fan of Christian McCaffrey. I know a lot of people are going to have him as their 10th or 12th running back, depending on how much him being white affects their scouting of him. Um, but he he does everything. Um, he can catch the football out of the backfield extremely well. Um, he isn't just whatever you want to call him, the West Walker of running backs or any of that kind of stuff. I think he's a legit running back prospect. And uh, I think Kansas State has always been a team that has a, a decent defense. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a decent test, you know, uh, for them. Um, Stanford doesn't always start out well. I mean, like last year against Northwestern, that obviously was hard to watch. But this is another example of maybe Stanford goes into Kansas State and it's kind of rough and you get to see what McCaffrey can do um, without as much help, which is games I usually like to watch. And I like to watch running backs at times go up against opponents where it doesn't go well, because uh, oftentimes you can see what their true strengths are in those moments. You know, you'll you'll see speed or you'll see power. You'll see they'll do something where you go, well, we had a bad day, but at least McCaffrey did this play. You know, so uh, that's that's one of the things I'm, I'm interested in watching. Uh, Missouri versus West Virginia is another game uh, that I really want to see. Missouri because of Charles Harris, who is really good um, at edge. Uh, he's another one of those undersized kind of guys that people don't like about Missouri, but uh, in terms of like height and stuff like that and length. But he's just a guy that has a really good motor, um, really decently explosive um, and I just kind of want to see what he does against them and of course West Virginia you know Shelton Gibson really good wide receiver and Skylar Howard has got an abnormally amount of hype uh, considering things but um, Howard at at West Virginia is definitely a guy that I'm going to be watching this year but I am a little surprised at how much uh, I guess draft Twitter like has gone Google Gago you know over Skylar Howard in terms of you know, certain things. Um, UCLA, Texas A&M, big Ooh, game, that obviously. Should be, that should be fun. Another thing that, you know, Ryan mentioned uh, with them, I mean, it's the chosen Rosen uh, with most of his defense. I mean, this is a completely different-looking defense now. I mean, you don't have Miles Jack anymore. That defensive line is different because uh, they lost a lot of their defensive linemen. Um, they lost cornerbacks. Like, it's just going to be a completely different-looking defense. And it's exciting. It's exciting to see. Can you 
can you up the ante? Can you, you know, do you have guys behind your guys, you know, are you just stacked to the limit? You know, are you so flush that, hey, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll waste a hundred dollars. You know, I got $200 behind that. So uh, that's, that's one of those games that's interesting. And then you get to Texas A&M, which has a ton of talent. I mean, the wide receivers, Speedy Noel, Ricky Till Jones, Christian Kirk, you know, Trevor Knight might not be bad. Speedy Noel. Yeah, Speedy Noel. Uh, on defense, Deshaun Hall is is underrated, you know, edge rusher. Yep. On top of Miles Garrett, which I think every time Miles Garrett goes to step to the line, there should be like Rick Ross music playing or something, you know. Like he's <laughs> just that type of guy that you feel his presence every time he's on the field. And, of course, Armani Watts, you know, in the secondary. Really I mean, Watts is one of those other guys I think is very underrated. Um, can they stop the run? I mean, that's the question. You know, uh, UCLA may not cause too much troubles with that because they're still trying to figure stuff out at the running back position. You know, Paul Perkins is in the NFL now. But um, that is going to be something. They do have some talented options at the running back position, including that kid, uh, was it Jumbo? I mean, he's, he's looked oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. super impressive. Physically. But they're trying Even to figure out what he is. I mean, right. that's the only thing about him is is he, he's definitely athletic, uh, but are they going to turn him into Anthony Barr? Or are they going to, you know, who knows what UCLA does? <laughs> they seem to just get these athletes, and then they go, all right, what are we going to do with them? You know, sometimes it really works out, and like Anthony Barr's case, and other times it's just kind of a mess. But I will get into the people. But, yeah, uh, another big game for me, LSU-Wisconsin. It's mainly just because of LSU. LSU, as always, has a ton of talent. Uh, yeah. You know, Dupree, Durrell, you know, Ethan Posick, uh, you know, Leonard Fournette, uh, Jamal Adams at safety is really good. And it's kind of funny that people are like, oh, he's going to be a household name this year. He should have been a household name last year. You know, uh, <laughs> if you're in the right household, he may have been. Yeah, he may have been in the right household. Uh, you have the defensive linemen there that, you know, and I, I'm not going to say their names right, but, you know, Lacouture, uh and uh, Goshocks, I guess. Which I could probably call them Goshocks, uh, who I, I want to see if they can take another step this year. And Kevin Tolliver, you know, who may be one of the better cornerbacks in the nation too this year, um, right. a lot better than that Trey White. Uh, but it, it's going to be a you know, that's just a ton of talent. Um, and I think Wisconsin is a team that always – they put together a pretty decent team. Wisconsin surprised LSU a few times in the past um, because they were just too stubborn. So I, I just really want to see what that opener kind of shows in terms of that sort of stuff. Um, Georgia versus North Carolina is another big game. Ooh, yeah. For me, it's kind of a test game for both of these teams because Georgia is trying to figure out what their quarterback situation is going to be like. You know, is it going to be Jacob Eason? Is it going to be Grayson Lambert? Hopefully it's not Grayson Lambert because that would, you know, but yeah, I mean, hopefully it's Jacob Eason, but you never know. Uh, Lorenzo Carter is another guy at, at the edge linebacker position that they have at Georgia. And he's, mm-hmm. he's rude. He's very rude, which is something I like. And uh, and linebackers. So I mean, if you want to see a very rude linebacker <laughs> rushing the passer, Lorenzo Carter is that type of guy. Um, and I I think 
it's going to be interesting what he does. Of course, North Carolina, Elijah Hood, you know, Ryan Switzer, you know, the West Walker with a jet pack, uh, as some people, you know, might call him. And, you know, I hate to break it, but that, that's just, that's just what you do, you know, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's an interesting game for both of these teams, you know, can North Carolina stop being a good enough team instead of, you know, can they be a great team versus a good enough team is the basic thing I'm trying to say. And, um, they flirted with that a little bit of being, well, they've been bad. They've been okay. Last year they were good enough, you know, to do some things. Can they become a great team? And, and that's obviously something that will be answered um, this year. And then the last two games, because, I mean, there's a lot, but in the first week alone, I mean, USC versus Alabama, I'm really interested to see what UCLA looks like. I mean, Juju Smith, Schuster, this is probably one of the better secondaries, at least college secondaries that he's probably going to go against. Um, in terms of Alabama, I mean, you know, Nick Saban's going to be eyeing Juju, so there's there's going to be some fun things to see what happens uh, in that game, um, and obviously, you know, the quarterback position at USC is, uh, it, you Max know, it's going to be Max Brown. We'll see how that kind of goes, but yeah, that that's, I mean, and plus it's Alabama. I mean, I just really want to see what they do in terms of their edge rushers. There, um, they have a new running back, of course, which you know, I don't know his name, but eventually I'll know his name. Very well, both well. Garborough and essentially, I mean, they have others too, but both Garbos is the guy that people are anointing as the next Derrick Henry already. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you know, plus it's a great Southern name, you know, both Scarborough. You know? Uh, so it's it's just cool. I, I don't know. I, I just think, and, and there is a little bit of this, at least at least with the talk radio people in Alabama. You know, because I'm down here in Gulf Shores, <laughs> there's a lot of sort of like, you know, is, is Alabama going to turn into, you know, like whatever team, you know, that was really good and faded into existence, you know, that type of thing. And I, I don't think so, but <laughs> it's definitely going to be something to see in terms of that. And the yeah, Alabama and its first world football problem. Exactly. Exactly. And then the last game is, Clemson Tigers versus the Auburn Tigers. Now, the Auburn Tigers are the better Tigers. I just like the way their Tiger looks at the Clemson. But it's just a big game I'm in terms of Deshaun Watson. This is the first year after losing in the national championship. Uh, the defense is completely retooled in terms of the guys they have out there. Really want to see what happens with those guys. Uh, and, you know, Wayne Gallman, obviously, at running back, is a guy, a guy that I really want to see how he develops this year. Um, and, of course, tight end-wise there and Jordan Leggett, you know, those guys are interesting, to say the least. And then Auburn, you have everybody's favorite cripple linebacker, you know, edge rusher and Carl Lawson, you know. What is he going to do against Deshaun Watson, you know? Um, they have Mont- Montrevious Adams at defensive tackle. Will he grow a brain? Will he grow a brain? I mean, that's my big thing. Is, will he show that he isn't just a athlete and start being a little bit smarter, start yeah. to recognize things faster and make more plays because he is a really explosive defensive tackle. I see exactly what everybody else sees in terms of his get off, in terms of his size, in terms of his ability to penetrate. But there's too many times where he just doesn't understand 
simple things going coming at him, and and I I just hope that improves. So I mean, he's those, been super those easy the, to influence. Yeah, you're right. He's been super easy to influence. I mean, if you run basically any sort of misdirection, you can get him to flow to where he takes himself out of the play consistently. Yep. And that has to change, you know. That's not something I like in first shot defensive tackles, but I know <laughs> I might get flack for that. I, I know people just go, hey, the defensive tackle position is just all about going, you know. Like, you don't have to be very bright to do it. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of run and chase to it, but you definitely need to learn from your mistakes, and that's what I hope that this year – he does is learn from his mistakes. Yeah, that would be a consummation devoutly to be wished. Yeah, I well, I I think. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, did he? Did you mention any? Did you mention at all, Jim, the Oklahoma versus Houston game at all? That's a fun no, game. No. Yeah, it was discussed a little bit last week. Uh, when, yes, nope, none of you were here, but yes, <laughs> I, uh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, that's that's a great place to start. Obviously, uh, thanks to uh, your friend and mine, Alex Brown, I've gotten some some I- interesting insights into the Houston program, which is definitely seen by everyone as a program on the rise. With coached by a coach on the rise, with I mean everything is pointing up <laughs> essentially in the Houston program. Uh, they've had their best recruiting class in the school's history going into this year. I mean, everything you could look for, all pointing in the, the right direction. And then going into this game, there's now an expectation that this could be the moment, the day, the whatever you want to call it, where they, you know, break through in such a way that they could, you know, no longer be ignored, uh, where you have to, acknowledge, despite the fact that they play in a quote-unquote off-brand conference, that this is one of the better teams in the country. They had a great record and a great season last year, the best season since the old Andre Ware days and David Klingler days of of the run and shoot. Uh, So, yes, Isaiah, you brought it up. Tell me about who are some of the players you're excited about. What are you looking forward to seeing in that game? Okay. Going once. <laughs> All right, then. Maybe not. thought that was a game you wanted to discuss, but maybe not. Okay. Uh, then we'll move forward. Oh, uh, well, I'll just say this about that. Uh, Greg Ward, who just a couple of years ago was a guy that I thought would be giving up the quarterback position and moving back to slot receiver, has actually turned himself into – I mean, beyond serviceable, uh, he's a solid, interesting, intriguing even college quarterback. Now, I know you don't get to watch much college football anymore, Ryan, but if you do get a chance to watch at least one Houston game, it's like I said, it's an offense that much like at Ohio State is predicated on certain things that prevent you from seeing the quarterback go through the classic, you know, Joe Montana-like progression of, you know, Okay, we have a post over here. Nope. On the backside, I'm looking for, you know, this uh, dig. Nope. 
then, you know, arrow route to the fullback or whatever. I mean, you don't see him doing a lot of that. You know, that's not how they're, they're built in terms of, but he does show you some touch, some anticipation, some accuracy that I didn't think I'd ever see from, from Greg Ward, who I, like I said, I mean, I, I rarely write a guy off, especially not early on, but I did yeah. think that he was going to be a receiver once more. And now, now he looks like a guy that at least is in the fight to stay a quarterback. I'll put it that way. And, yeah, I'm curious to evaluate him, actually. And I realized that that last question was for me, but I actually didn't – yeah, I didn't know that you were even – I, I think I got cut off or something. No, it's okay. It's okay. No, I'm just, I just wanted to say that I know that you only get a handful of games, but if you do get a chance to stick uh, a Houston game on, the, on your roster, I highly recommend it. One, because it's, like I said, one of the more – Surprising? Well, not surprising, I guess, if you believe in Tom Herman. Uh, how quickly I thought he would have success. I didn't think it would happen that fast. This program uh-huh. has gone from being, like I said, sort of an afterthought to, I mean, they may have supplanted Baylor as the sexiest program in the state rather quickly. I mean, with amazing rapidity. Uh, yeah, that's, if, that's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm that's, hearing. Um, it's just, a, I mean, think of how quickly, you know, just three years ago, it was really easy to get a seat to a Houston gig. You know, it wasn't, you didn't have to wait in line, didn't have to know anybody. You could walk up, you know, a few minutes before the game and hand them, you know, 18 bucks or whatever the heck, uh, doing which, what kind of seat you wanted, maybe, you know, maybe 20-something, 30-something, you wanted to sit in nicer seats. And now, you know, there's, Buzz a galore during that program. Definitely yes, excitement. Right, They're right, jazz. Right. They are jazz. They, they I find the first. I would have yeah. liked to have seen them in the in, in get into like an eight seeded playoff last year. Personally, <laughs> and they would have as well. Uh, but like I guess I know some people around the program, <laughs> and I mean they they felt like they were one of the top teams in the nation, and yeah. they are a I handful think they of them right. They they looked really, really good. And like I said, if that's why this getting off to a great start is so important for them. If they can come out of the gates knocking heads and looking, you know, like a team that belongs against whoever you want to mention, SEC, ACC, Big 12, whoever, if they do get – if they do run the table, which well, it, I've already scheduled. Well, well, we, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. You know, I see. I asked you a question about this game just a minute ago, and there was no response. So, but then oh, back to you, Isaiah. Back to you, Isaiah. I guess so. Break break this game down. That you, yeah, you brought it up. It's a really good game. Take it away. Sorry, Beth. I really had to go after I asked my question, but um, <laughs> um, well. You talk about they may run the table, but do you? Well, they the biggest challenge is probably week one against Oklahoma. Uh, probably one of the better defenses they probably will face this year. Um, yes, with better run games. Uh, yeah, personally, it's by, it's by far the best run game they'll see all year. That's that's not even up for discussion. But yeah, personally, you talk about their turnaround and all their new recruits. Look at all the transfer guys that they got last year. Yep. Like I said, they become the sexy destination, you know, supplanting Baylor. When there are now kids who wouldn't have had Houston in their top ten 
couple years ago who are visiting and saying they're in their top three or four. So, yes, a lot has happened. So tell me about what you're excited about uh, when you watch that game and who and what are you looking for out there? Now, for clarity, you're saying Isaiah, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I'm just thinking about it. Okay, okay. Yes, for for clarity's sake, I say Isaiah. Isaiah's me. If you want to take over, go ahead. What is the boss? Yes. Here's what I will say. A lot of people got excited about a defensive back, and I'm not sure he was even their best defensive back. He was their tallest and maybe their fastest, but I'm not sure he was their best defensive back. When I look at that secondary, I think Houston has maybe another NFL guy in the back half of their defense. So I think this is a team that, they may not run the table, but I won't be shocked if they do. They have a a lot of players that are better than than most people think they are. And like I said, I I I Mia Culpa on Greg Ward. I tremendously underrated him. He is a better player than I realize, and just keeps getting better. He may still end up because of his frame. I mean, he's not very big. Being moved back to slot receiver when his pro career does does ensue, but. He's far exceeded my personal expectations, at least, as his ability to throw the football. And though he's not, you know, like I said, a great reader of defenses, you don't have to be, quite frankly, the way their system works. Okay. Say that again? Is he Nick Marshall S? I don't know if he's quite that kind of athlete. I think he's a good athlete. I think Marshall was a bigger, strong – but I don't think I know. Nick Marshall was a bigger, strong guy. I mean, Greg Ward's 182 pounds or something and yeah, five, I mean, Ward, and a half. In many, I mean, Ward in many ways reminds me a, a decent amount of, like, a Rakeem Cato, but a better athlete than Rakeem Cato. In right. In terms he's, of just size and, and speed and everything right. else. Like he's, a, he's, a, he's, he's faster and quicker than a guy like Cato. He's not quite – as good at reading defenses and not quite as accurate down the field, but he's way better than he, than he was and way better than I thought he would ever be. Uh, keep an eye out for, for Howard Wilson, another tall, slender corner that they seem to be developing a good number of down at, uh, down at Houston. They have a lot of new pieces on their offensive line. That's the one thing I would say, sort of the one cautionary I would throw out is that they lost, I think, they bring back a fair amount of talent in other places, but I think they lost four starters, if memory serves it correctly, off the, uh, off the line, off the offensive line. So they're, they're breaking in a lot of new pieces on their offensive line. They brought back a fair amount of guys on defense. They lost. Um, Elandon Roberts, and they lost uh, Tommy Mark, and of course, obviously, William Jackson, uh, Trevon Stewart, and Adrian McDonald. So actually, they lost, I guess, about five or six guys on each side of the ball, but in the case of offense, it was all offensive linemen, practically. I mean, they, 
they bring back a lot of everything else. Uh, the only Kenneth Farrell is the only other loss amongst the starters on offense. But yeah, they they lost four offensive linemen. So that's that's my my only real sort of red reddish flag. But I think they still have enough to probably even with that being said, with the exception of you know maybe two or three games, they still will be the team with the much better roster taking the field in all but two or three games this year, I believe. And obviously, as we talked about, you know, Tom Herman, Major Applewhite, and Todd Orlando, and Craig Navarre. I mean, they, that, that coaching staff, almost all fairly young coaches and almost all coaches that people expect to be somewhere else in a few years. Uh, but surpri- some people are surprised that Tom Herman's still at Houston even now. But he's made it clear. He, he said he wants to turn Houston into a destination school for players and coaches. And it could just be, you know, calming talk, or he, could, he might he might mean that. I guess we'll find out soon enough when the next big job opens up and people throw huge piles of cash his way. So, uh, anybody else who has another game in the first or even second week, although even the second week of the season, that is particularly exciting to them amongst especially for sort of scouting purposes, guys, that you're, you may be able to answer some questions on. And I'll, I'll, I'll stick for a moment. Somebody brought up the Carolina-Georgia game. I think this might be sort of a coming-out party for Matt Collins, who has been a good player throughout. But I, I will not be surprised one iota if he ends up opening some eyes. He, he clearly before has sort of taken a bit of a secondary or even tertiary role back when he had, you know, Buck Howard and Quishon and, and others, I think now he's going to be, you know, the main outside target with Switzer obviously working the slot to perfection. I mean, that's that should be a still a very good offense. And, you know, I'm a big Elijah Hood fan. I, I think he's going to end up being one of the better running backs in college football. Mitch Trebinski is probably the biggest question mark on offense, and I think he's going to answer that question. For, that's, to me, that's the biggest question probably. And if he has a really good game against Georgia, that bodes extremely well for Carolina's chances to contend and possibly even, I mean, obviously Clemson's still seen as the ruler of the roost in the ACC, but we saw how close the know was last year. I mean, that, you know, that's one blown call away from a game that could have been very, very, very different. And obviously going into, into this year, they've lost some pieces. They've lost their starting quarterback. They've lost some fairly important offensive linemen and some other pieces, but I, I still think they have enough to give people trouble, uh, including an SEC team. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to have an easy time with Carolina this year. I think they're probably going to settle back slightly to more like a 9-3-ish, and three-ish, which is still solid. It's still a good good year, but, you know, I think they may have to take another year to get back to where they were with Trubinsky getting settled in and things like that. And for Georgia, yes, once again, running backs, so they have a bunch of them, uh, and one or more of them have a big game. And will they be starting the super talented freshman? Will they be starting the rather lackluster <laughs> of upperclassmen? I mean, that that all remains to be seen as well. But that is a game that is of great interest to me. I think that we'll know a lot more about both teams, obviously, after that game.
So, yes, um, back to you, Jim. So, t- t- sample size. We, to you, we talk, everyone talks about, I mean, all, it's all fun to get super excited when we see one player have one great game. And I was one of the first people on the Ezekiel Lanza bandwagon, and it was obviously super premature because, you know, we all sort of had a draft Twitter watch party um, when BYU had a great defensive show. I mean, everyone was looking for Kyle Vanden, uh not Vanden, uh Van Oy was sort of the guy who I was super excited about. So everyone's sort of watching for Kyle Van Oy. Some people are saying he's a possible first-rounder. And the guy who took that game over was Ziggy Alza, who most people hadn't heard of. In fact, you know, the year before, he was on the team, but I'll be even lettered. I mean, he, not only was he not a starter, I think he was only in a handful of snaps, and they didn't know what he was. He barely knew where to stand up. He didn't know how to get into a stance. He barely could put on pads. And then, like I said, he sort of has this great breakout at the first game of the season, and now people are like, who's this kid? You know, I'm, I'm foolishly tweeting out that he's a future first-rounder <laughs> after having seen him play, you know, one game. Uh, luckily, you know, for at least for my own pride, Ziggy had a pretty good season throughout. Not a great season, but a good season throughout, despite the fact he didn't really understand a whole lot of things. But for you, how much, how much is enough? In terms of sample size, what what do you need to see? How much do you need to see before you think I can give an intelligent opinion about a player? Uh, I mean, at least in terms of judging um, what they can accomplish, I'd say about ten games. You know, okay, around there, eleven. Um, if it if it comes down to like production sort of stuff, it's usually at a seasonal basis, um, how much they accomplish in one season, that sort of stuff. And injuries do kind of play a part in that sort of thing, which injuries are always a variable that I haven't collected enough data on to really speak on and that sort of thing. But um, I do know that for the most part, uh, guys that are really productive are usually really productive because they're healthy enough to play. And usually if they're healthy enough to play, they can actually, you know, go on and do their thing because, you know, because they, they were lucky enough to do that. Um, but at least when it comes to film evaluation, I like to get at least 10 games worth of a prospect. Uh, and usually, and yeah, it's it's always subjective, but at least I, I try to get the games where they performed really well. Um, so I'll, if it's like a quarterback, you know, or, or say an edge rusher, say an edge rusher had a game where he had three, five sacks, uh, tons of tackles, tons of tackles lost. I like to see those games. And I also like to see the games where they didn't, you know, have a sack or it was kind of a rough outing. Like, you know, you kind of want to see those games and see, okay, what went wrong, you know, in this game, you know, why, why was he so tremendously productive here and one was over there Sometimes you put on the game and you see, wow, the offensive line is committing five people to him, and <laughs> that was a really rough day. Uh, and other times you just realize you, you might catch a flaw here and there that you didn't catch catch before. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in terms of you know production data, most of the stuff I deal with is just seasonal data. Um, I try to get at least seventy five percent of the games played or more. Um, and then I use that to extrapolate the production models, at least when it comes to that sort of stuff. Um, if it's less than that, then I, I usually just kind of kick them out. Um, I, I just basically put it down as, 
you know, not applicable because uh, if a guy only plays four games in that season, that's just not enough uh, to really gauge anything at all, you know. Um, and the one thing you realize when you have 15, 20 years worth of data is that, you know, you should be patient. You know, you shouldn't crown a guy right away because the history of the game shows that oftentimes – at least in my experience, which I know some people criticize before, but oftentimes when you think you're right, there should be something in the back of your mind questioning that, you know, to a certain extent, you know, something in the back of your mind should be questioning uh, your sort of process and how you're evaluating and everything else, you know, because sometimes you watch a bunch of games and you go, wow, this guy's really great. And then you might find one, you might find one game or might be two games that, that starts to ask a question that can help you to kind of, you know, reevaluate sort of what you were thinking. So you, and then also that you don't fall into groupthink and stuff like that. Cause I think that's the number one um, huh. issue with, and, and such as Twitter, but that was one of the things I was thinking of the season is to not spend as much time on Twitter is just because I think, you know, that can obviously influence a lot of your thinking on a prospect. If you, you hear 50 different people, praising a guy uh, that can influence you to a certain extent, you know, um, and data can influence you as well. You know, if a guy's really productive, sometimes if you go into it without doing that, which is why I always try to get the film evaluation done before the production and every other kind of data, because that, because that data oftentimes can influence you as well. Um, before you even watch a guy on tape, you're already making conclusions about them. Um, and that's another sort of thing that I, I kind of try to avoid by trying to get all that work done as early as possible and then go on to other stuff. And that other stuff is really just there to question what you've already seen on film or to get you to do more investigation if there's extra stuff on the data side that brings up a question. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, you mentioned numbers of games for certain positions, whether it be receiver or running back or um, wide, yeah, uh, quarterback. Do you need a certain – beyond a certain number of games, do you see – do you need a certain number of guys, you know, being targeted or carries or pass attempts? Because as you pointed out, People got super excited about Carson Wentz, but it's only about three games we had to really throw the football a lot. You know, <laughs> in order, you know, there were a few right. times they got into shootouts or things like that. The U and I game or a few other games where you saw him really have to put the ball in the air late to to turn games around, as opposed to you know people used term balance attack, whatever you want to call it. They they tend to establish the run and pound you half to death, and then when you put that eighth man in the box and they, you know, dagger you or, or at least hit you with a good gain in the passing attack. But a lot of times they're doing that, like I said, against eight man boxes. You did see a few examples when they weren't able to get that to happen or where they did have to come from behind and the other team did, you know, have enough point score that they couldn't just use their sort of normal ball control and run based attack. So, Beyond just raw numbers of games, are there numbers of specific types of things in terms of attempts or, you know, scenarios, whatever that you have to see before you feel comfortable 
comfortable in evaluating a player? Not necessarily, because again, mo- most of the production data I use is market share data, and mm-hmm. it kind of helps to level the playing field because you'll have guys who play, like you'll have a wide receiver who plays in an offense that has significantly less passing yardage than another guy. You know, you might have one guy that's like in a Texas Tech offense where they're throwing for 5,000, 6,000 yards in a season, and then you have another guy, exactly, or you have another guy at LSU um, who's only seeing about 2,000 yards or 3,000 yards, you know, or Alabama, you know, where you only have like 2,000 yards, et cetera. So um, what market share data is, it kind of just gives you an idea of, you know, what percentage of the offense they made up, what percentage of the defense they made up. And um, what I've seen, and I know I get flack for this all the time, but there's lots of people who talk about scheme and, well, they're in this scheme, so this is that. And I'm not denying that scheme can influence um, how a defensive player performs, but you do have to understand that there's thresholds in everything. And if in every, if you have, a sample size of 20 plus years and you have a thing where, you know, almost 100% of all the pro bowl linebackers and all of the all pro linebackers, the, you know, the Brian Erlachers, the Ray Lewis's, Luke Keekley's, you have those guys who end up in the, in the 90 percentile or higher in terms of uh, market share solo tackles. Um, you start to question how much scheme really influences that, you know, to a certain extent. Sure that they played in a defense that, may have funneled stuff to them, but ultimately they had to make that tackle, you know, and they made a ton of tackles. And you get to see that that sort of, yeah, when you're in this scheme, you're going to have a lot of tackles, but there's guys like Luke Keekley who is like the top guy I have who had 20% solo tackle market share. And you have other guys that were in that same defense that only had 10%, even though they had that opportunity. So I, I find that that's kind of what I focus on. And with quarterbacks, um, I really, the only main thing I look at quarterbacks with in terms of, per, you know, production data or any type of stat is just touchdown interception ratio. And that's just something that I've tested going all, all the way back to the 80s, which is the vast majority of starting quality quarterbacks were at least above average in their era, which I usually broke up the eras by 10 years. So, you have the 80s decade, the 90s decade, the 2000s decade, you know, because the touchdown interception ratio is it's significantly, at least the average is significantly increased over time in college football. Um, but that's just the thing where every single decade I've tested, that was a pretty good indicator of whether or not a guy has a really good chance of being a starter or a really great player versus not. But it's not the end-all, be-all either because – most of my evaluation with quarterbacks is film, and that's really about it because most of the variables I've tested at the quarterback position with various different production metrics and athletic metrics uh, really didn't show any significance. So if it doesn't show statistical significance to me, then I really don't pay attention to that. I just kind of focus on film evaluation with quarterbacks, which is why NFL teams spend as much money as they do to scout the quarterback position and why we, as, you know, draft picks always end up with that struggle, you know, of like, you know, what is the key to quarterback scouting? You know, what is it? You know, that sort of thing. You know, every time we think we know, we don't, you know, we have no idea. 
you know, I, that's just how I feel with quarterback evaluation. You know, you're just kind of, at least right now, um, is is that sort of stuff. And plus, I haven't done an extra about a statistical analysis with that, which is just going to take a long time to do, um, especially with quarterbacks. And there is things like charting and stuff like that that I think is very important, which I think will give us a lot of significant gains with quarterbacks. But I just feel even if you have a ton of data, even if you have three years' worth of quarterback data that is pretty solid, that you've double-checked, you've triple-checked it, I just don't think three years is enough. I, when, you, when you work in my world, you're talk, uh, you're, I, I've just come from the background of, you know, when I went to college and did statistical classes or whatever, you at least were looking for at least 1,000 data points um, to have a pretty good sample size. And a lot of these cases, you don't have 1,000 players. And I know that's a really high standard. I know that. But it's just something you really want to do. That way, it's just not happenstance, you know, because every year changes. You know, every couple of years, there's new, there's new trends in the data that you may not be able to catch if you don't have a large enough sample. So um, it just is what it is. So I just don't like to get into other sort of quarterback data stuff without, or at least using that to influence decisions without having that sample size where it needs to be for me to feel that it's high enough, you know, that it doesn't have the margin of error that could throw things off tremendously, which happens a lot. Hmm. Well, what I sort of hit upon, there's something you mentioned, The two things that I, I look at, and I'm not anywhere close to you, but you mentioned touchdown-intersection ratio, and I sort of look at a combination of completion percentage with yards per attempt. Like once a guy hits a certain number, which nowadays I guess should be about 64% or so, now it, you know that's why it's changed a lot. I mean. And then if he also has certain over a certain amount of yards per attempt, they sort of, you know, sort of put those guys in sort of a certain category and sort of look for other things on tape and other things to sort of help to differentiate between them. Because I generally have noticed that usually if a guy is below certain areas, certain places, in terms of completion percentage and or yards per attempt, it usually indicates that I mean, you can mention scheme or whatever you said, or, but but usually a guy, something is about, there's something there about him that's preventing him from being more productive in those areas as well. Oh, sure. I mean, um, I mean there, there definitely is thresholds with uh, completion percentage. And that, I mean, that's another thing um, that, I look at to a certain extent. I know Montel has done a lot more work in terms of that, um, you know, completion percentage and that sort of thing. Um, and it is something to, to, to think about. I, I just, I don't know. I touch on interception ratios is one of those things that I've, I've tested it three different times, you know, and, you know, gone all the way back to the 1983 draft class because I felt, you know, why not go back to that draft class? <laughs> good place to start. Great, good place to start. And, it 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 was I don't know touchdown interception ratio was just one of the things that held up the best. Um, it it standed the test of time, I guess I'm trying to say. Uh, 
you know, even though the averages went up, uh, it, it, again, it's all about the error that you're in, you know, because, you know, back then, of course, in the 1983 draft class, if you were a one-to-one touchdown-interception ratio back in 1983, you were doing pretty good. You know, you were a really good quarterback. Nowadays, you're talking three-to-one, four-to-one, that sort of area. You know, and if you're talking seven-to-one, you're talking like the Marcus Mariotas of the world, you know, um, that, you know, or Alex Smith is and, you know, that sort of stuff. Right. Okay. And based on what you know about, I mean, obviously, you know, we'll see what guys have transferred, the guys, you know, things have changed. But based on the guys that you saw a fair amount of last year and coming into this year, who are your guys that you think will will end up you know, sort of being gold star players, or whatever team going to use, the blue chips? Who are the guys that you have the greatest faith in going into this season? Hmm. Greatest faith in. Right. Interesting. Who are the guys you're most question. comfortable? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing. I've, I've been spending so much time prepping for this season. I, ah, wow. Well, I guess to start a quarterback, I, you know, Goff is someone that I, I feel comfortable. He's going to be a serviceable NFL quarterback. Um, and could be really good. Uh, now, there's a lot to see, but I, I feel really comfortable with him. Um, Sterling Shepard is, you know, a really good wide receiver that I think is in a really good situation, and I'm really excited to see, you know, ultimately what he does um, and how he performs um, at wide receiver, at least. He's a guy I feel really well about, you know. Uh, running back is not so much, you know. I mean, uh, Zeke Elliott, I really want to see what happens with him in Dallas, but I think I think he's going to – I mean, I think he's going to do well um, unless the sort of legal troubles, you know, keep him down. But um, I I hope that doesn't – you know, I, I hope he's innocent is what I'm trying to say, you know, because obviously if he's innocent, and, you know, yeah, you, should, you know, you got to pay – you got to do the time, you know, if you committed the crime. But um, – I mean, he's definitely that sort of guy for me at running back. I, I feel well if, if he can start. Um, at offensive lineman, uh, I, Jason Spriggs is a guy I, I feel really uh, decent about. Uh, Jermaine Fetty, I think, might surprise people, you know, because I know a lot of people kind of pan to pick, but I think he might do a little bit better than people anticipate um, I, in, in my personal opinion. You know, I, I just think he might do a little bit better. Uh, Joe Haig from North Dakota State is another guy I'm a big fan of. I think people kind of, you know, for whatever reason, they just kind of did what they did. And, you know, but I think he's going to perform well. Um, at the linebacker position, I mean, Jatavis Brown from Akron, um, who's Ooh. on the Chargers now, I mean... Super fun. He is just one of those guys that when I was watching his film, he's so explosive. He's so fast. Um, he was just such a smart player, such a productive player as well. Um, and I just was always surprised at the level of, you know, can, when it, when can a guy catch a break, I guess. You know, 
Like, <laughs> he gets no respect. Um, he does everything right in terms of, you know, production. The film, is, you know, was, was very good. And even though, it was, even though it was against lower level competition, it was very decent. You saw a athletic, you saw a very athletic player. You saw a very smart player. Um, in terms of athletic testing, he tested really well. One of the best testing linebackers in the class in terms of athleticism. And yet the NFL just kind of went in, yeah, you know, shrug. Yeah, you know, we like our big name school guys, but uh, he's somebody I think will. He's somebody I think is going to have a really good season at San Diego and really surprise a lot of people. Um, I, I just have been a really big fan of uh, what he can do and what he can accomplish. Um, I think Kenny Clark is from UCLA, you know, at Green Bay. I think he's in the perfect position um, to, to do well uh, this year. Um, Joey Bosa is, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just a big fan of Bosa. Um, I think at San Diego he'll do well. Uh, I know another guy that people might roll their eyes at, but Joe Schubert from Wisconsin on the Browns. Uh, I I just have a little soft place in my heart for Schubert. I think that he's another sort of guy like Brown that people just kind of, for whatever reason, personal biases, whatever, just kind of, you know, call it a jag or whatever. And I think he's going to put in a season that is going to surprise a lot of people uh, at the cornerback position, Kalen Reed is a cornerback that I think is, is going to turn some heads. Uh, LaShawn Sims is another cornerback that I think so far will, will do a lot of stuff to kind of change people's minds. And the last guy, oh, actually, no, two more guys. Ryan Kelly from Alabama at center, um, really good player. If you are one of those guys that is a – is a Robert Kandiche fanboy. Um, you should watch Ryan Kelly and what he did to this poor man. Um, you know, when you go back and you watch Ryan Kelly, you just see more layers and layers of a guy that uh, I think is going to be a really good center and probably be one of the better centers eventually in the future. I think his first year, he's going to show people exactly that um, in, in terms of those sort of things. And then the last player that I just could not understand why the NFL didn't like him. Um, he didn't get a combine invite. I, he, he, it's Kevin Byard, for, you know, Kevin Byard for oh, yeah. at safety who's on the Titans. Um, I think he's with the right coach. Another guy who's a defensive back, you know, for a defensive back. Uh, and is a legendary coach in the NFL, especially defense coordinator. Um, and I think in that situation with him and everything else, I think he's going to be one of those cases of a guy that, uh, for whatever reason, the NFL, I don't know if it was level of competition, if it was hitting Jacob Coker late, which is, I know, something that Pete Smith has said a lot. I'm like, come on, Pete, really? Because he, he hit him late, that, that's going to – that's going to knock him, you know, and he's like, hey, yeah, hey, you hit him, you know, hit him late. You, know, you can't do that. I'm like, okay. But uh, I think he's going to surprise. I think a lot of people who, I don't know, there was always a sense with Kevin Bayard that there was people who really liked his game, you know, and, and really liked his tape, but were just afraid to put him higher up on their rankings or higher up in at regard because of, how other people might view them or because of just a general consensus on his draft stock. And I think that's wrong. I think he's a guy that 
should have been should have went a lot higher than he did, and I think he knows that. And I think this is going to be a season where he shows people, you know, what he's really capable of. Thank <laughs> you. 
know, so just wanted to hit upon a few more things, and we'll pick up tomorrow with looking at uh, weeks two and three in college football. I want to thank a very special guest, Brian Little, who's with us. I am seeing, of course, my co-host, Jim Coburn. I thank you all for your time and your attention. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.